Welcome to your Sunday Reader. Today we'll be discussing the readings for the sixth Sunday of Easter, 2010. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Some who had come down from Judea were instructing the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the Mosaic practice, you cannot be saved. Because there arose no little dissension and debate by Paul and Barnabas with them, it was decided that Paul, Barnabas, and some of the others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. The apostles and elders, in agreement with the whole church, decided to choose representatives and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. The ones chosen were Judas, who is called Barsabbas, and Silas, leaders among the brothers. This is the letter they delivered, The apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia of Gentile origin. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number who went out without any mandate from us have upset you with their teachings and disturbed your peace of mind, we have with one accord decided to choose representatives and to send them to you along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have, di- who have dedicated their lives to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are sending Judas and Silas, who will also convey the same message by word of mouth. It is the decision of the Holy Spirit and of us not to place on you any burden beyond these necessities, namely to abstain from meat sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meats of strangled animals, and from unlawful marriage. If you keep free of these, you will be doing what is right. Farewell. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O God, let all the nations praise you. O God, let all the nations praise you. May God have pity on us and bless us. May he let his face shine upon us, so may your way be known upon earth. Among all nations, your salvation. O God, let all the nations praise you. May the nations be glad and exult because you rule the peoples in equity, the nations on earth you guide. O God, let all the nations praise you. May all the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May God bless us, and may all the ends of the earth fear him. O God, let all the nations praise you. A reading from the book of Revelation. The angel took me in spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It gleamed with the splendor of God. Its radiance was like that of a precious stone, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a massive high wall with twelve gates where the twelve angels were stationed and on which names were inscribed, the names of the twelve tribes of the Israelites. There were three gates facing east, three north, three south, and three west. The wall of the city had twelve courses of stones as its foundation, on which were inscribed the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gave it light, and its lamp was the Lamb. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. 
Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever loves me will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, yet the word you hear is not mine, but that of the Father who sent me. I have told you this while I am with you. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything, and remind you of all that I told you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. You heard me tell you, I am going away and I will come back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to your Sunday Reader. I'm Father Brian, and I am flying solo again today. Um, Don couldn't join us. I had all kinds of responsibilities this morning, so actually it's my fault because I couldn't record at our normal time. But that means that you're stuck with me, and hopefully you will learn something, though, about these readings. One of the things that struck me is this first reading, of course, is the Council of Jerusalem, as we talk about it, which is the first council. Throughout our church history, there's always been councils that have decided and come up with rulings on certain hot topics of the day, if you will, or controversial questions, or have given us guidance as to how we are to live our lives as Christians. Probably the most famous that most people today think of is Vatican II, the Second Vatican Council, which really taught the church or encouraged the church to engage in the mod- engage the modern world with its message of love and peace and hope from Christ our Savior. The first council, though, was this Council of Jerusalem. And what was going on, we hear about it in the Acts of the Apostle, is that there was an issue that had arisen. Now, remember, Christianity came out of Judaism. And initially, the Christians didn't consider themselves starting a new religion or anything like that. They thought they were continuing the Jewish tradition. And so what happened, naturally, was the question of circumcision arose. Because circumcision was the way in which male Jewish people were identified as being part of their religion. You could equate it kind of to our baptism today. It's the way in which you became a member of the faith was through your circumcision. It's how you were marked as a person of God. And the question that arose is, as these Gentiles, the non-Jewish population was converting to follow Christ, the question came up, do they need to be circumcised? And it became a huge issue of debate. As it says right here in the scripture, there was no little dissension in debate. So there was a lot of debate and dissension about whether you needed to be circumcised or not. And so what happened is a council was called. And this is where we get our tradition of calling councils to discuss these issues. And it's the Council of the Apostles, or in our days we have the bishops who are the successors to the apostles. And Paul and Barnabas went up to talk to the apostles and some of the elders about this question. And there was probably much discussion and question about, you know, can they be brought into the faith without being circumcised? Is it necessary to be circumcised or is baptism enough? Ultimately, what was decided, as we hear, is that it was the decision of the Holy Spirit 
and of the apostles not to place any burden beyond certain necessities. One was abstaining from meat sacrificed to idols, from meat of strangled animals, and from unlawful marriage. But circumcision was not a necessity. So that was the ruling that came out of that first council is that in order to be a member of the body of Christ, to be a member of the Christian community, of the Christian faith, you did not need to be circumcised. And so this is where we get our tradition of calling councils when we need guidance on how do we address particular issues. And throughout the history of the church, there's been numerous councils. Most of them have been to address certain heresies that have cropped up throughout the ages or certain practices that needed reform in the church. So that's just a little bit of our history that we see right there in Scripture. So often people question us as Catholics, you know, how is it or why is it that you do this? Why do you do things that aren't in the Bible? Well, this tradition of calling councils, for example, is right there in the Bible. And of course, the Bible itself is the product of one of our councils. So the Bible wasn't written and they didn't have the Bible in Paul's time as we have it today, where you have all the books put together and neatly bound and said, this is sacred scripture. So what happened is over time, a council was called and said, what is sacred scripture? And defined certain books as being part of what we call the canon or the um, the library, if you will, of the books that belong to sacred scripture. Now, when we move over to the gospel, we have Jesus talking about whoever loves me will keep my word and my father will love him. I think that's a real important thing to remember is that as followers of Christ, we are called to keep his word. And in order for us to know what his word is and is not, we go back again to this tradition of counsels and guidance by a hierarchical church that is the nature of our church is that we are a hierarchical church and we believe that the whole hierarchy is being guided by the Holy Spirit and we get that right here in this reading today I have told you this while I am with you the advocate the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you so that's where we get this notion of the church being inspired by the Holy Spirit and the apostles being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, the teachings of the church being inspired by the Holy Spirit. What's amazing, of course, for us is that the teachings of the Holy of the church, the um, teachings about faith and morals, we believe, are safeguarded from error. What isn't safeguarded from error is the way in which they're proclaimed which is an interesting thing. So what do I mean by that? Well, or or the way even that they're brought about. When a teaching is brought about definitively by, let's say, the popes or a council, what we say is that teaching is itself true. And it gives, is the guide of, is guided by the Holy Spirit and teaches us what it is we should believe or how we should act. But the discussions that took place to lead, you know, a certain pope or a certain council to come to that decision aren't necessarily inspired by the Holy Spirit. In other words, you could have somebody who's acting out of greed or selfish interests, and they could proclaim something. Yet, what they're proclaiming might be true, even though 
their reason for proclaiming it might not be the right reason for proclaiming it. And that's seen throughout our church history. We see that sinful men, time and time again, have been called to proclaim the truth. Um, you know, we see it today in this issue of scandal that we have in the church right now. The fact that we have people who haven't lived up to that Christian calling, or even in our highest positions, bishops and uh, whatnot, who have failed to live to that Christian calling, doesn't mean that the message that they've been preaching or the message they've been safeguarding is somehow flawed. What it means is that they themselves are flawed, and yet, in spite of their flaws, the Holy Spirit is still able to give us teachings that are true. And that's kind of the amazing thing when you think about it is how God can work with sinful humanity to bring us something that's true or how the church being made up of sinful individuals can continue to proclaim the truth. And that's where we call it the guidance of the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit that's kept this church alive. It's not us as individuals. Now, sometimes a proclamation that might be indeed true, like I said, might be historically nuanced by, you know, selfish interests or other sinful motivations. At the same time, the fact that that was the motivation for it doesn't mean that it's not true. And that's really um, what we as Christians believe is that it is the truth that is spoken through the church, but not necessarily always on display by members of the church. And so that's what we have to be cautious of. Of course, we are all called to do our best to display those truths as well. I mean, that's the first part of this gospel where Jesus says, whoever loves me will keep my word. And that's something we're all called to do. So we're not only called to proclaim that word or to um, proclaim what is true or show people what is true by, you know, giving them a Bible or something like that, but we're called to live that word too. And of course, we all know that as much as we try to do that, we're always going to fail because we're all sinners. Um, but thanks be to God, we have the sacraments to come to so that we can renew our commitment. We can be forgiven of our sins, for example, in the sacrament of Eucharist or in the sacrament of reconciliation so or in the sacrament of anointing. So we can be forgiven of our sins, but we are also strengthened by the sacraments. Like the sacrament of the Eucharist nourishes us so that we can go out and have the strength to do God's will, to keep his word. And that really is important for us as Catholics is to remember that even though we fail to live out that calling all the time. There are many ways that we can redouble our efforts, so that we can renew our efforts right within the church. And we're always called to do that. And of course, all of this comes from loving the way that Christ himself loved, which is a love that's self-giving. That's ultimately what we're called to do. Because if we can do that, then we're going to do pretty good at keeping the word of Christ and following his way. That's really what he gave us was that model of self-giving love. So I think that's the challenge for us this week is to try to find ways in which we can be self-giving rather than selfish. And then to trust that the Holy Spirit is guiding us, especially in this time of crisis in our church. And on that, I will finish up our podcast and hopefully Dawn will be back next week to join us on your Sunday reader. Have a good week. God bless. 